0: What are the top things that companies must keep in mind when getting their supply chains back online after a major disruption? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Supply chain risk is on everyone's mind these days, much more than in the past. It's not like we didn't know about the possibility of disasters that could seriously disrupt the flow of product. There was no lack of earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, and erupting volcanoes to get our attention over the years. But COVID-19 has driven the point home in a way that's impossible to ignore. In the business world, the conversation about risk is now taking place at the board and executive level. Just how much we need to be thinking about risk is what I'll be discussing today with Jennifer Besegli, CEO of Interos, provider of a platform for supply chain risk management. She offers an invaluable roadmap for responding to supply chain disruptions in the short, medium, and long term. And she gives us a sense of what a truly resilient supply chain might look like. So here is my conversation with Jennifer Bisegli. Jennifer Bisegli. welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Bob.
0: Jennifer, you've been advising governments and Fortune 500 companies for over 20 years on supply chain risk. Is there anything different about this particular moment in crisis?
1: Absolutely. I think for the first time, definitely in my lifetime, and if you look at the headlines that are going on right now, supply chain is in front of everyone. It's the topic at every business right now. And for the first time ever, I really think that it's a conversation that the board and the CEO are having, and that couldn't be more different than when I started 25 plus years ago when everybody thought that supply chain was about warehousing and transportation.
0: So attention is being paid, but what about the nature of the risk? When you were advising companies how to protect against risk, did you include in the possibilities a global pandemic that affected virtually every country in the world?
1: I wouldn't say that we were fortune tellers, right? I I think that What we did talk about is the fact that we are an incredibly interconnected global economy. And so that when anything happens, whether it be an earthquake, a tsunami, layoffs, companies having to shutter based on people being sick, pandemics, anything that happens around the world, because we are so reliant on each other to do business in ways that we simply cannot see, that a situation like this pandemic shuts down operations, which is exactly what's being
0: experienced right now. It was just almost a buzz phrase that people would go around talking about the interdependence of supply chains, but I don't think they really knew what they were talking about, a lot of them until now, when we realized the true interdependence of the entire world. Now, this discussion, this, this episode isn't going to go live until we're a good ways into the summer. And by that time, we can hope that companies have started to take steps toward coming back online and that the economy has also started to take steps, although who knows how long it's going to take. That being the case, I'd like you to lay out for me what some of those steps are. Let's divide them into short, medium, and longer term as to what you advise companies to be doing to get back on their feet. Let's start with the short term. What should they be doing pretty quickly?
1: So in the short term, we really call it the first 30 days. It's actually reaching out and talking to your suppliers and business partners. No technology will ever replace the human impact of just picking up a phone and talking to someone. And truly understanding how risk management is being handled both for your own business as well as your partners and your suppliers. So that would be the first thing is literally just pick up the phone, get in touch with the suppliers, open up those lines of communication and not just for your tier one or your third party, the one, the, the uh, company that you are contracted with but either have a flow-down clause where that company has to call the next tier or you go ahead and reach out yourself.
0: Well, you really touched on it right there with the idea of a multi-tier supply chain. I wonder if a lot of companies maybe even don't have complete visibility of who those sub-tier suppliers are. Are they having to discover what their supply chains actually consist of before they can even pick up the phone?
1: So They do, and I think that if you had asked most organizations call it January of this year, if they even knew who was in their sub-tier supplier relationships, they would have said no. And now if you ask them, they would say that that blindness they actually now know is a problem. And so Mm -hmm. I think that what you're seeing very quickly, and I know you went about being this first 30 days of the short term, is people not just asking the question of their next tier supplier, but actually asking what the operational resiliency is of the entire supply chain network. And that really is a multi-tier situation.
0: So everyone's asking, as we're getting ready to go up and running, are you ready with us? So do you have the capability? Are there any problems? Do you see any challenges or interruptions of upstream from you? Those kinds of things, right?
1: It is. And the interesting thing is it's hard, right? So the interesting thing is it's not simply knowing who the supplier is, but it's understanding what the impact is going to be. I use an example very often where I talk about you have a third tier supplier that has a, an earthquake that impacts them somewhere around the world. And so they had to shut down operations. So your second tier supplier now has to lay off people because the third tier supplier isn't providing them enough work to continue. So then your first tier supplier now has to buy from alternative sources or unvetted suppliers that they suddenly have to find because that next tier supplier can't do the work anymore. And then now that they're bringing through product from unvetted suppliers, you're getting counterfeits that unfortunately cause a cyber breach for you. So if you follow that lineage and the sub-tier supplier relationships, it's not simply the buildup of materials that make an airplane that's a direct correlation, but it is literally all different types of risk. And it's one of the reasons that Interos looks across five different risks consistently for every single supplier that we're looking at. And right now we're looking at about 50 million entities And for all of them, we're looking at financial risk, everything from solvency to bankruptcy to funding the enemy in terrorism situations. We're looking at operational risk. So as I mentioned, layoffs, counterfeits, what have you. We're looking at uh, geographic, so weather, geopolitical concerns. We're looking at cyber, which is we're doing through a lot of partnerships and specializations. And then we're looking at governance or things like ethical sourcing, uh, conflict minerals rare earth elements. I do not know how you do business in this world, whether you are in agriculture or retail or consumer packaged goods, without thinking global, without thinking interconnected, and without thinking comprehensively about that risk lens.
0: Okay, so that's 30 days. That's where you're really starting to get your arms around your suppliers and your supply chain medium you would define as 60 days, is that correct? And if so, what what should you be doing at that point?
1: At the 60-day point, now you have information, right? You have this information in your hands to say, okay, I know how resilient my own supply chain is. I know what suppliers and business partners I can still link arms with to get going, or if I have to find alternatives. Now, part of the question is, is looking at my consumer base, is my customer the same? If you think about all the layoffs that we saw happening in retail, If I was a supplier to a retail, a brick and mortar company that suddenly is all all online because of what happened with this COVID-19 situation, does my consumer base look the same? And when I make those decisions and potentially need to innovate on how I'm going to market, now do I have to look back upstream and say, I actually need to change out my suppliers again? So that Mm -hmm. 60 days is really looking at not just the information outside your organization from a supply base. But do you actually need to pivot that business model so that you can take advantage of some of the changes that have happened outside
0: of you? A much deeper dive. What are you asking of your suppliers to be doing in that sixty days too? I mean, you've already asked them in the thirty days to kind of come forward and exchange information and capabilities. Are you demanding more of your existing supplier base in that sixty-day period?
1: I think it's a great question, and and I do think what's happening are two things. One is that. This heightened level of communication, I don't think it's going to go away. Again, we're a technology company. We love technology, but you just can't replace human communication and subjective decisions. So that's the first thing is just that heightened level of connectivity. We often conti- call that continuous monitoring from a technology standpoint. So constantly looking at what's happening in the world. And now that I've identified who my critical suppliers are that I'm linking arms with, what's happening to them at a day-to-day notice. The second thing is actually asking your supplier how they're doing the same with their suppliers. And so when you ask, are we asking more? It's just that. We might have asked for certifications before, like ISO, or depending on the industry that we're working in, agriculture versus making aerospace defense, there are different certifications. But now we're actually actively asking, what are your risk management practices and how are you flowing those down to your next-tier suppliers, and so on, and how are you auditing against that, which protects me? And and the whole idea is hopefully we've learned from COVID-19 that actually says we are so reliant on our extended business relationship that this operational resiliency can only occur through continuous monitoring and ensuring compliance throughout your supply chains.
0: Kind of an aspirational, hopefully, though. I wonder because did we learn from the tsunami? Did we learn from the floods in Thailand? Did we learn from a volcano in Iceland? Did we learn from an earthquake? I mean, it seems like in the short term we do, but that doesn't always go forward into permanent new commitments to risk management. I wonder if that'll be different this time.
1: That's a really good question. And to be very honest with you, it's a lot of the conversations that I have with both customers, just as well as it might sound boring, but as I'm sitting around the dinner table, because It's what does it take to actually learn? And this was crushing. Not only do you have situations where industries may not come back the same way, as I mentioned about retail, may not come back at all, but you literally had companies that are being put out of work or they can't open back up because of the labor is sick or we can't get through the borders. Or if you think about what's happening even here in the States, and we're in Northern Virginia, Where restaurant owners are making judgment calls, do they open or not? Because is it profitable if they can only accept 10 customers at a period of time and they still have to hire back all the staff? Mm -hmm. And so, again, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what it takes to learn a lesson. I will say that there was enough going on before this happened, discussions around the supply chain. If you look at, as you mentioned, we started talking about Brexit. You had the conversations around nationalism, around China and global competitiveness. You look at countries around the world, like Greece, that were going bankrupt, and then you sit there and think, does it make sense for us to really take control of our economy? And there's a lot of the discussions we're having is not so much did we learn a lesson, but how do we create resilience in a world that we can only depend on ourselves? And putting together what might be considered almost two supply chains, one a local and one global. And I think that personally, I think you're going to see a lot more of that, a lot more of alternative suppliers, a lot more focus on operational resiliency, just as good measure. I, I also think, Bob, that as we come out of this, that the companies around the world that actually pay attention to their supply chain and report to the board and their shareholders that that has become a focus, their brand and their reputation will become markedly stronger.
0: I'll bet at this point the board and the shareholders will be demanding that kind of presentation because of the wide awareness of the importance of supply chains. I want to get back for a moment to the coronavirus pandemic specifically and ask you a little bit more about how in that 30 to 60 days, you're beginning to dive deep into the capabilities of your suppliers and your manufacturers up the stream. Are you actually asking them to demonstrate to you how they can continue to manufacture in a pandemic environment or post-pandemic environment in terms of like, are you asking them to show you how they can engage in social distancing within their factories? Are you drilling down to asking them to be that specific? Are you that intrusive into their operations?
1: I think in some situations you are, and especially if you think about what's happening in agriculture, and if you look at even Tyson's or Smithfield Foods, and we've seen the pictures in the news about how you have the laborers going back to work and the dividers between them. I do think, and I mentioned a few minutes ago in the 30 day plan of asking your suppliers a little bit more out of your suppliers and what are their plans, what are their risk management plans, what are this even going back to work based on COVID 19. So, social distancing, I do think, is a big piece of it. I also think that going back, if you think about what was really big in the 90s in supply chains, you talk about vendor managed inventory, just in time shipments, inventory pre positioning. All mm-hmm. of those conversations are coming back up. It's almost like the 80s are coming back into style. So if you think about supply chain of the 90s, a lot of the things that were popular when I first started in supply chain are now coming back. I don't want to call it stockpiling, but it's a bit of that in effort to protect ourselves to make sure that we can now satisfy our customers, because not only am I asking that of my suppliers, but as you mentioned a moment ago, my board's asking that of me. How am I ensuring that I can meet my customer demand as much as how am I protecting people? So I think there's a lot of those conversations going on.
0: So much of the idea that inventory at rest is the enemy. That was one of the nostrums that we used to, we heard back then. And now maybe we're starting to rethink that to some degree. Okay, so is this the point? Within the 30 or 60 days, I want to get into the long term in just a second, but is this the point? You talk about the unique opportunities this crisis affords companies. Should they now begin exploring supplier diversification strategies? Should they be getting away from single sourcing to the extent that's possible in an environment like this going forward?
1: I actually think that that's the third leg of the stool or at the 90-day plan. I honestly think the first 30 days, Bob, people are simply just taking stock, right? They're kind of standing up, they're dusting off, they're saying, okay, are we still okay? And are we going to be around tomorrow? So that's that first 30 days. And then who can I count on in My supply chain. The next 60 days are ensuring that you actually have that operational resiliency. And then the, the last 30 days at the 90 day mark, Now I'm looking at ensuring that resiliency by having alternative sources of supply. And that's when I mentioned there's a lot of conversation of when a global supply chain is not a good thing, and it's when situations like this pandemic occur. So the concept of should we not only have alternative sources of supply, but actually construct a local and a global supply chain on purpose, I think that's a lot of the discussion that happens at that 90-day mark.
0: But China was so alluring not just for cheap cost of manufacturing but for the enormous scale with which they could produce stuff no other country could match China for the workforces and the manufacturing workforces that they were able to put on the floor for people. So to what extent is diversification even possible, given the extra cost involves, given the fact that you're not going to get as good a deal from a supplier if you're spreading the business around, and given the fact that other countries may not be able to match China in terms of the scale and capability?
1: I think that's a really great bunch of questions, if I could. There's a lot to unpack there. I think this goes back a little bit to your question of what does it take to learn and will we learn? I think we're going to learn. I also think the reality of the global economy is some of the things that you just mentioned, which is certain countries in this world have made economic and political choices to specialize in different things. I'm old enough to remember when China was used because things were made cheaply. And now it's because, to your point, just the volume that's able to come out of it and the tooling that they have, there's no other place to get it. We actually published an article of, about Malaysia and the concentration of semiconductors in Malaysia as well, or integrated circuits. That's what they're known for. I know the Philippines, for a while, they were specializing in help desk and help desk technology. So I, I think that that, in my opinion, that will continue to be there. I think there's lots of different definitions of what resiliency looks like, and that's when I mentioned when you come out of the 30, 60, 90, at that 90-day point, now it's really trying to figure out what does your business look like? What does your consumer base look like? How do you support that with suppliers that will be more nimble than maybe you were in March and April and May of this year and continue to go forth and, and be profitable?
0: Is reshoring back to the United States the answer or even an option that companies should be considering?
1: That's as political as anything. If, if you were to <laughs> ask me as just Jennifer with my personal opinion, I think that it's really hard and not necessarily the right decision to put everything in the same country. That's not resiliency, right? Because even, if even if it's this
0: country, be, even if it's here. Well,
1: yes, correct. Yeah. If it's any country. And I think that's just life. So do I think, though, So, going back to the point when this started back in March and there were articles all over the paper that there was 150 drugs that are being manufactured in China. And there was a bill on the floor here in the United States to bring drug manufacturing back from China, back to the United States. And then there were follow up articles that talked about the ingredients that went into those drugs that were in India and there were stockpiling in India. So it's not simple right? It's not simple simply to bring an entire supply chain across multiple industries back to the United States. Do I think, back to my point of having local and global supply chains, there's going to be some movement? Yes. Changing out suppliers, Bob, is really expensive, not just from the retooling potentially, the certification. If we're talking about different industries, are those raw materials even available in the country that you're trying to source from? There's a lot of thinking that has to go into making a change like that.
0: And you're not just bringing over a tier one factory either. You're bringing over necessarily a whole supplier campus of supporting suppliers, some of which want to be in great proximity to the plant. So you've got to relocate a lot more than just a factory, right?
1: Well, there's definitely a macroeconomic piece to that. So to your point, it's not just the capability. It's the skilled workforce. And even if you were to relocate just that one skilled workforce, what happens when those people get sick or decide to retire, then you have to have a whole educational system and training system to support it, so on and so forth. And so, so it is, it, like I said, it's a very expensive proposition to swap out suppliers that really needs to be thought out.
0: So out of this disaster, which is a horrible experience, do you believe that companies are going to come out smarter, more agile, more resilient, more secure, or is that yet to be seen?
1: I think two things. I think it's definitely yet to be seen. And all the conversations we're having, we're still in that first 30 to 60 days, still just trying to figure out, okay, are we okay? Like I said, dusting ourselves off, looking around, making sure we know who our suppliers are. We do a lot of work with the federal government, and they're looking to see if they need to use stimulus funding, which we're all reading about in the papers and watching on the news. To keep those suppliers around. And we're having uh, discussions with other governments around the world that are having that same conversation. So we're still very early days. I I think there's two problems that everyone is focused on, not necessarily solving yet, but we're focused on where are their suppliers and their suppliers' suppliers, so that multi-tiered supply chain being impacted by COVID-19. And then what's my alternative? And my alternative could be getting out of that line of business. It could be swapping out suppliers. There's multiple alternatives, but that's a lot. We're we're there right now. Where are we being impacted and what are my choices and how to get out of this?
0: Let's look at the bright side and think that it does offer unique opportunities that we hope companies can avail themselves of. But uh, Jennifer Bisegli of Interos, I want to thank you so much for giving us kind of a multi-chapter playbook, short, medium, and long-term as to what companies should be doing in response to this crisis and be even more resilient and secure going forward when the next disaster strikes. So thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it.
0: That was my conversation with Jennifer Bisegli of Interos talking about supply chain risk. email me at rbowman at dot com. Stay well and see you next time.